postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. 
Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-Be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're doing stories as part of our Get a Head Start on Your Postpartum Logistics series. Now, today's story comes from Ivy Tumlinson, whose unmedicated, low-intervention hospital birth was way easier than she imagined. And on the flip side, her postpartum experience was incredibly more challenging and more emotional than she ever expected. However, navigating the difficulties did provide her with some hard-earned insights, which I'm kind of excited for you to hear to see if they resonate with you. And if they do, then you may want to set up a consultation with a pelvic PT like right now, no matter where you are in your perinatal journey. And if you're pregnant, then make sure you get your breast pump out of the box and become familiar with how it works before your baby arrives. Also, Ivy's husband is Adam, and their daughter's name is Aura, so when you hear those names in the episode, then you'll know who we're talking about, although I'm sure you would have figured it out anyway. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Ivy, welcome. So great to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story. And we're going to be talking about Aura's birth. Um, But also, more importantly, your postpartum period with her. Because that's what you said threw you more for loops. So give us a little bit of background. Think back when you found out you were pregnant. What were your thoughts towards birth? And how did you prepare for your experience? Sure. So I, Adam and I were trying to have a baby for about 10 months. Um, We were not having any luck. So I started going to acupuncture. I went for 10 visits and all of a sudden got pregnant. It was great. It was right before Christmas. We were like totally over the moon. I hadn't really thought about what type of birth I wanted at that point. I used to see a physician's assistant in a gynecologist's office. So I figured I would just go with her and, you know, we'd kind of play it by ear. So, you know, I went for my, the first visit with the OB was at 12 weeks and that went okay, but I really wasn't super impressed. I didn't really feel heard, I guess. And shortly after that visit, I just happened to watch the business of being born like so many other people who get interested in unmedicated birth. Um, And it was at that point that I decided that I definitely wanted an unmedicated birth and I wanted to try uh, practice with midwives. I didn't want a home birth. I knew that much, but I did want to go for an unmedicated hospital birth. Um, I liked having kind of the backup of the medical interventions if I needed those, but I also wanted to try it without many interventions. So I actually found a practice that was actually closer to my house that had certified nurse midwives as well as OBs, which I also like that. That way, in case I had um, any complications during pregnancy, I would be able to meet with the obstetricians there. So we made a plan to have a birth in the alternative birthing center 
in one of our local hospitals. So it's essentially like a mini birth center in a hospital. Um, there's a big tub in it. You can't give birth in the tub, but you can labor in the tub, which I was really, really looking forward to. And, you know, it's, it's a little more homey. There's a full-size bed in there. And it's, it's for people who are looking for an unmedicated labor and birth. Yeah, that sounds lovely. And I like the idea of a full-size bed, making it yes. different than a hospital bed, just to give you a different yeah. perspective. I always look at like birth rooms. <laughs> I Google birth rooms throughout the world to see the differences. And there's some that are so, like have ropes and ladders. And I always wish, oh, you know, this could be a great thing to get your mind off of that set hospital room environment. So I appreciate Absolutely. your birth center. So you did that. Did you take any childbirth education classes? Yes. Um, so I started taking prenatal yoga at a local yoga studio. Well, it's sort of like a health and wellness studio for, you know, pregnant families. And also they do some mama and baby classes. So it's it's owned by a doula. Um, and she has a comprehensive childbirth course. It was like seven weeks long, three hours a week. Um, it was really comprehensive. And I felt like it gave me a good sense of all of my options, you know, from the really, you know, intervention heavy options to the lower intervention options. My husband and I took that. I also did a ton of my own research. I'm the kind of person who like information helps me to feel a little bit more in control or I guess as in control as one can feel when you're pregnant and about to give birth. So I did a lot of research on my own. I listened to a lot of podcasts like this one. Um, and I read basically everything that I could get my hands on. I listened to a lot of birth stories. I also, in my third trimester, finally downloaded Expectful. Uh, and I've been meaning to my whole pregnancy because I really wanted to get into meditation because I felt like it would really help with kind of my mindset. And I loved it. I Every night I would go into Aura's, or what would become Aura's room and sit in the recliner and just like, you know, it, it gave me the space to kind of connect with myself and connect with my baby and like really got me in the right frame of mind, I felt like, in order to, you know, get ready for what was to come. Yay. I love hearing that. That sounds super cool. Yes. You did all the things and got you in like both mentally and physically in a space where you felt you were ready for this. Now, if exactly. we, yeah, if we fast forward to the day of, how did you know you were in labor? So I woke up in the last weeks of pregnancy, of course, I wasn't sleeping that great, like many other pregnant people. Um, and I had been waking up a lot around three o'clock in the morning and I would like put on my expectful back to sleep meditation and, and it would work like a charm. The morning that I went into labor, I woke up, I remember it was 3.48 a.m. and I felt a contraction and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a contraction. Like, uh, my body's doing something. And I was like, all right, Ivy, I, you know, just go back to sleep. I got to rest. This could just be prodromal labor. You know, I was only 39 weeks. And in my head, I had convinced myself that I was going to have a September baby because she was due August 28th. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, most first time moms go post dates, I'm definitely not going to have this baby in August, she's going to be a September baby. So it was August 26. So I was like, this, this can't really be it. So I'm just going to try to go back to sleep and, you know, kind of rest that way in case this is it, you know, I'll be ready. 
So of course I couldn't fall back asleep, even though I tried the meditation thing and whatever. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to get up and take a shower. So it was like, I don't know, 5 a.m. and I'm in the shower and Adam came into the bathroom to use the restroom. And he's like, like, why are you, what are you doing up? Why are you in the shower? And I like poked my head out the shower curtain. I was like, I'm having contractions. <laughs> he was like, what? What do you mean? Really? And I was like, yes, yes. But like, you know, this could just be prodromal stuff. I could be like this for days. They're really not consistent yet. Like, you know, he had planned to go to yoga. I was like, go to yoga. I'm going to go to, I actually had a hair appointment scheduled for that morning. I was like, I'm going to go to the salon. You know, I'll text you if anything else happens, but I'm really, I, I don't think this is it. I, I think like, you know, we're, we still got a ways to go. So that was that. I sent him on his way and I went off to the salon and got my hair done and didn't say anything to my uh, hairdresser, even though my contractions slowly became more and more consistent while I was sitting in the chair and I started getting a little bit more uncomfortable. You know, I could still talk through them. It really wasn't anything unmanageable. She had no idea until I told her at the end. So yeah, the contractions just sort of slowly picked up. Um, They were becoming more regular and, you know, a little bit more uncomfortable. I believe I got home around 11. Uh, that morning. And, you know, I was sort of trying to keep busy around the house, just still trying to ignore the contractions, but there's like definitely a pattern starting. Um, and I had just so happened to download a contraction timer the night before, like just in case, you know, I'm, I'm, hit, I'm almost at week 40, like this, I, I should probably have this on my phone now. So I started using the app to time contractions probably around 12 noon, and they were pretty consistent right from the beginning, uh, or from when I started timing, I should say. They were already like five minutes apart or less, and I was kind of like, whoa, like, am I timing these correct? Like, I don't know. I, I like thought like maybe I was timing them incorrectly or there was something wrong with the app. Like, you know, I was like, this this can't be like I haven't been in labor for that long. So I'm like texting my best friend and she's like, because she was going to be at the birth and she was like, well, like, what do they feel like? What are you doing? Like, if you want to speed them up, you should really go for a walk, like stay on your feet. And I was like, no, I don't think I need to help them progress or definitely progressing. Like, I'm going to try to rest again. Awesome. Um, I love that. It's like, (laughs) oh, no, I'm good, woman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. I was like, no, no, like they're, they're progressing just fine without me trying to make them progress. Like. I'm going to try to take a nap. So um, I laid down. The contraction slowed a little bit, but I definitely couldn't fall asleep. And around that time was when I started to kind of say my my one affirmation, my what became my mantra during contractions, which was each wave brings me closer to my baby. And just, you know, every time the contraction would start, I would just start saying that to myself over and over until the contraction ended. And I kind of got a little bit of a break. And that was really helpful for me. I I think saying that over and over to myself and also keeping my eyes open during contraction. So I could like, I would pick a point of focus and just sort of like try to kind of ground myself that way. Um, I don't know. That just sort of helped me to feel more in control. And I, I, I heard somewhere that I don't know how, if this is true or not, but I've I read somewhere that they have done studies where um, people's perception of pain is actually less when they have their eyes open. So I was like, okay, if I keep my eyes open during contractions, maybe they'll feel less painful or less intense or something. So I don't know if that worked or not, but it, it seemed to get me through. So, you know, I just kind of labored around the house a little bit. I, I had a yoga ball that I had been using while I was pregnant, just sort of, so I kind of rocked on that a little bit. 
I labored on the toilet for a little while and that seemed to be a, a good place to labor. Although it started to feel really intense when I was sitting on the toilet where I was like feeling a lot of pressure and feeling like I had to poop. And I was like, Oh my God. If, if people say that when you feel like you have to poop, that means the baby's coming. So like these are like the thoughts that are going through my head. So Adam was in the shower at that point and I was like, Oh, Adam. I'm so glad you just said something because I was gonna ask you like is he still yeah, in is yoga he? class? Like what is going on? <laughs> no. So he, he I, I should probably mention that he got home probably a little after I did. He had been texting me beforehand and he was like, I'm up, like, do you need anything before I come home? Like I'm at, I'm going to go to CVS. And I was like, Oh, actually, can you get me a handheld fan? Because I was so hot at the end of my pregnancy. You know, it's like the end of summer. It's blazing hot. Like I, I'm like, I, I could really use a fan. Right. So he like sends me a picture of like three different handheld fans. And at that point I was already in labor land and I was like, uh, uh, I don't know the blue one. Like, is this me? Like, just get me a fan. Like I can't, you know, I I was having a hard time kind of like making decisions already. Um, so he, he was in the shower and I was like, I think, I think we need to call the midwife. He was like, all right, all right. Like, I'll be right out. You know, he's sort of like freaking out. He's trying to help me through contractions. Like he would like come behind me and like put a hand on my back and I'd just be like, don't touch me. Like, <laughs> I just like couldn't, I, I was in my zone and I didn't want any sort of, I don't know, interference and, and, and a tiny little piece of me kind of like felt bad because like, I, I know he really wanted to be supportive and to be helpful, but like, I just couldn't, I couldn't take like any sort of like touch or like, like I just needed to kind of be alone to do my thing basically. So, so he called the midwife. Um, she of course wanted to talk to me. So she kept me on the phone through a couple of contractions and, and I was doing okay. Like, you know, I had to stop while I was talking to her when the contractions started. But, but I, I, I think she kind of felt like I was doing okay. It was going to be a while longer. So she was like, you know, I think it's a little soon for you to come in, but if you would feel more comfortable coming in to get checked, you certainly could. And I was like, yeah, I, I think I'd like to come in. And she was like, okay, no problem. I can definitely help guide the process. Um, this was not the midwife that I'd been seeing throughout my pregnancy. So there are seven midwives, I believe, in this practice. Um, and, you know, it's just sort of you get whoever's on call when you go into labor. So it was not my primary midwife, but she was very nice. And I was like, yeah, I, I think we're going to go in. So, you know, she's like, all right, I'll see you when you get here. I'll I'll have them page me once you get to the ER because the typically OB residents will triage patients in the ER. But um, if, if you're if they know that you're a midwifery patient, they'll page the midwife. So we started driving there. I finally got to listen to my, you know, I had made a a Labor Day playlist, like a birth playlist. um, And I hadn't even thought to put it on until we got into the car. So I'm like, oh, fine, good. Get my, you know, Labor Day playlist going. I got this. It's going to be a while, you know. Um, So we're driving there and we're on the highway. And there's this point in the highway where where it split north and south and we had to go south and Adam was in the lane to go north and I like in between contractions I'm like you need to switch lanes we're going the other way um (laughs) are we gonna make it to this hospital because we almost went in the complete opposite direction tell me if this sounds familiar you've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids and then when you want to share them it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to and then also remembering that say aunt helen only does email so you need to send her image separately 
Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. Uh, I love, it's like, that's the perfect example of how, because we always talk about going into labor land and going deep into these sort of altered birth states, but it's a great point to mention that it's not like a trans like you're out of it you're deep and then you're like you go deep into your delta and your waves and then you come up because you can have also your very logic beta waves going like you're on the wrong lane now i'm gonna go back yes yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think that's exactly what happened um so i'm just like all right let's so you know we get to the hospital we go into triage and you know it's like you get in there and they want you to fill out all this paperwork and I'm like, I, 
like the last thing that I want to do right now is like, and they're like, so would you like your baby's photos taken in the hospital? And I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. Like, I just, just get me back in the back. Like I, I, at this point was like, I don't know if I had hit transition or I was very, very close, I, which, which I didn't realize until after, of course. So they got me in the back, you know, they make me get in a Johnny. I have to put on these two monitors, you know, one for the contractions and one for the baby's heart rate. And they're having a really, really hard time finding baby's heart rate. And they kept asking me like, you know, have you noticed any decreased movement? Have you noticed decreased movement? And I'm like, uh, uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, that was sort of the farthest thing from my mind. But then I started kind of getting worried. I was like, crap, like, should, should I have been paying more attention? Was she still moving around? You know? Um, but I think that they just had a really hard time finding her heart rate because she was so low and we just didn't know it yet. So, you know, they're like, we're sitting around in triage. I'm sitting bolt upright on this gurney. They, they actually raised it to be at like a 90 degree angle or close to it because for whatever reason, that was like the only position that I felt comfortable in just like sitting straight up. So they're like, look, the midwife isn't answering our page. We're just going to have one of the OB residents check you. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So of course I had to lay down for her to check me, which was not pleasant. And you know, her, I, I hadn't had any cervical checks up till that point. I had just had my 39-week visit a couple of days prior, and they offered a cervical check that I declined because, you know, that saying your cervix isn't a crystal ball, I was just like, you know what, I don't need to know how dilated I am right now. It's not going to be helpful to me, and I just felt like I would just focus on that if I had known. Um, So she checked me, and it was, like, super uncomfortable, and she was like, guess how dilated you are. And in my head, I'm like, this woman is not serious right now. She's asking me to guess. And I'm like, I I, I don't know. I, I have no idea how dilated I am. Can you just tell me? And she's like, you're fully dilated with a bulging bag. And I was like, I like sat up from totally reclined. I was like, what? Seriously? It was like the best news that I had gotten all day. I was like, oh, she's like, yeah, we need to get you upstairs right now. And I'm actually going to go with you in the elevator. And I'm going to put some gloves on just in case. And I was like oh my God, uh, like this is happening. Like this baby is really coming like right now. So at that point, my, the people who were going to be in the labor room were Adam, my mother and my best friend, my best friend and my mom weren't there yet, but I was like, well, you know, we can't wait. We got to go upstairs. So as they were wheeling me out of triage, my best friend came in. So I'm like, oh, good. So she's here. And I'm like, can you just like keep an eye out for my mom? You know, I want to make sure that my mom gets here and like, She's the birth of her first grandchild. Um, so they're like, yep, yep, we'll send her right up. And they were like, you know, do you have any birth preferences? Now, all of our, our fully stocked hospital bag, I, I had like this nice printout with all these icons of all of our birth preferences. And like I had snacks and honey sticks and my handheld fan and all this really great stuff. And Adam kept asking triage, like, is our park going to be okay out there? Because I'm in like the 15 minute parking only, like. Should I move it now? Should I go get the bag? And then everybody just kept saying, you've got plenty of time. Because this was before I had been checked. Like, you're fine. You can move it later. Don't worry about it. No one's going to tell you whatever. Well, we didn't have time to get the, the bag. So I sort of gave a quick and dirty rundown of my birth preferences. And they were like, we can just wheel you down to the ABC. It's right It's right down the hall. Like, it, it'll just take two seconds. Like, you're not ready to sort of push yet. And I'm like, um, 
I'm sorry. Bef- right before that happened, she, the midwife checked me and she asked if I wanted her to break my water because she said, you know, I think this is going to go really quickly if I break your water. And I was sort of like, uh, okay, whatever. Like again, not really able to make decisions, but I was like, okay, fine. So she broke my water. I wasn't ready to push yet. So they're like, yeah, let's just go down to the ABC. So they open the door. My mom comes in. I'm like, oh, good. We're just moving rooms. You're in. You're just in time. And then all of a sudden, a contraction hit. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I need to push. And they were like, oh, oh OK, we're, we're going to stay. We're going to stay here. So they're like, all right, why don't you try to push? So I try to push. I really feel like I'm pushing. And they're like, you're really not. And I can see they're sort of like exchanging glances. I, I think they're saying to themselves, like, you know first time mom like she's gonna be a while let's 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 go back down to the abc so we're getting ready to go again and then again another contraction hit and this time i was really able to push so i started pushing and that was like a really productive push so i was side buying um because again for whatever reason that was just the way that my body wanted to be it was the way that i felt the most comfortable so i have like the nurse holding up my leg adam's up by my head i'm squeezing his hand for dear life and they're like all right you got to keep your leg up open pelvis open pelvis you got to keep it and i'm like i'm trying here you know it's sort of not the easiest thing when you're also trying to push a baby out so the baby i i pushed a few more times and the baby starts to crown and they're like dad do you want to see your baby and adam's like no thanks like i'm good um and i was fine with that and then you know they're like mom do you want to reach down and feel your baby which i know for a lot of women that's that's really like motivating and like really a, a powerful moment but i was just like no like I, i'm okay i can I, like i, I could feel it all I, I just it was not something that i was interested in at that point in time so the plan was which we were able to relate to them when we first got there adam was going to reveal the sex of the baby because we didn't know if she was a boy or a girl so they're like great that's totally fine I probably pushed for like, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes. It wasn't long at all for a first time mom, I feel like. And you hadn't been at the birth center or at the hospital for long either. No, I was all told I was in triage for about an hour and I was in the labor and delivery room also for about an hour. And that's from start to finish with them, like, you know, finishing up with the post birth and me getting up and going to the bathroom. Like it was really, really fast. I, I, I had been in the, the labor and delivery room for like maybe a half hour from when I got there to like when I actually delivered her. So the baby comes out, she's screaming, her arms are like straight, her arms and legs are just like sticking straight out. And they're like, okay, dad, what do we got? And he looks at her and he goes, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> he, he didn't, you know, when babies are first born and like their genitals are kind of swollen still, like in that moment, he just like didn't know. And I just screamed, it's a girl, it's a girl, look at that baby. And it was just like this amazing moment. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it was like incredible. It was, it was, and it was so funny the way that Adam reacted. And that's a story that we like to tell people now. Um, and it was, it was great. It went wonderful. So they put her right on my chest. You know, they sort of like stimulated her a little bit. She was doing good. She was crying. She had good tone and everything. Good color. We got to do skin to skin for an hour, which was great. Uh, we did delayed cord clamping, you know, it was like totally white. Uh, so I was really happy about that. You know, she was like, all right, do you want to, do you want to try to get her to latch? Cause I was planning on breastfeeding and I was like, yeah. And she did great she latched right away um she's like oh she's a pro already you know I was just like 
on this total birth high. So, you know, I delivered the placenta fine. She let she let us kind of look at the placenta a little bit and showed us like, you know, the inside and the outside and how it works and everything. So that was really cool. And I was like, she was like, okay, I'm going to sit you up because you do have a tear here. And I'm like, all right, like how bad is it? And she's like, well, it's not too, too bad, but it does need a few stitches. And I'm like, no, but like, how bad is it? She's like, it's a second degree tear. Like, like I was looking for like the nitty gritty, like I want to know what degree, you know, I've listened to enough birth stories. I know generally what the different degrees means. I'm like, all right, second degree tear, not great, but not terrible. Could be worse. And, you know, I, so I didn't have an epidural, obviously, you know, that was not part of my birth plan to have an epidural, but I wouldn't have had the option to get one anyway, because everything happened so quickly. So they gave me a local anesthetic for the stitches, but those stitches were like super painful. And my mom told me after, like, she was watching me, you know, I'm holding the baby I have around my chest and like, she would watch my whole body, like tense up. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like sort of relax a little bit. So that kind of sucked and, you know, it was not ideal. <laughs> I find those are, those are really hard because with the contractions and then, you know, you're in your rhythm, you're in your, you've got your endorphins, contractions are coming at a regular pace. So you know when it's going to be intense. Yeah. With this is, you know, everything's swollen and the baby just came out through there and now you're going to poke it and pinch it. And it's like, Gah. yeah, it's very surprising. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, the, the stitching went fine. Uh, there were no issues with that. My heart rate was really elevated, post, like immediately postpartum for some reason. And they never kind of figured out why. And it kind of went down on its own. I'm thinking maybe I was just really dehydrated because I had this whole plan of like how I was going to like you know, stay hydrated and I was going to eat honey sticks for energy. And, like this. <laughs> and I did none of that because um, <laughs> the labor kind of like took me by surprise, I guess. So yeah, all told, I was in labor for about 12 and a half hours from first contraction to delivery. Um, so pretty quick for a first time mom, I, I felt Oh, for sure. And not, o- not only that, like you had, you went and got your hair done in between all this. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I'm going to have like nice hair for the pictures and this is perfect. <laughs> oh, I love it. And and so basically this birth went pretty much according to your plans, maybe a bit faster than you thought. Like, what were your thoughts? How, how did you feel about the birth afterwards? I mean, I felt great about the birth. I was totally shell-shocked. Like, I remember sitting in the postpartum room that night, like, after my parents had left and my friend had left. So it was just me, Adam, and the baby. And I just remember looking at him, looking at the baby and looking at him. And I was just like, she was inside of me, like, three, four hours ago. Like, I, I almost couldn't wrap my brain around it. I can see now why, you know, women who have true precipitous labor, like how I I could imagine why that feels like getting hit by a train, because I sort of felt that way a little bit. And my labor wasn't quite that fast. So, yeah, I I was totally shell shocked, but really felt like super empowered and just like a badass. I was like, well, I just did that. I just totally rocked this labor and this birth. And it was like exactly not exactly what I had planned because no birth ever is, I don't think, but it was like, like I could not have asked for a better birth, just sort of generally speaking, like, you know, broad picture. So I, I felt 
awesome. And, you know, we, I was in the hospital for a couple of days, you know, I guess sort of the standard, um, because, you know, I didn't have any complications. Everything seemed to be going according to plan. I did have a lot of trouble breastfeeding. Um, so while I was in the hospital, every time I would try to get her to latch, that first latch went great. And then for whatever reason, I was having a really hard time getting her to latch after that. And every time I did try to get her to latch, I would call the nurses and I'd be like, you know, can someone come down to my room and help me try to get her to latch? Because I really was having a hard time. And I had, I have a few friends who've also given birth at this particular hospital and they had some not so great experiences with the lactation consultants there. And sort of the recommendation was given to me, like, make sure that you insist to see a lactation consultant before you leave. So basically, as soon as I got to my postpartum room, I was like, well, I want to see an LC. So if you can send one to the room, that'd be great. So a lactation, they, or they have IBCLCs who uh, see the patients there. Uh, so they're also RNs. So I had requested a few times. And the second day that I was there, one of the um, lactation consultants came down and she kind of observed me try to get her to latch. And she was sort of like in and out. And she was kind of like, yeah, we'll just keep trying. Like, it, it looks good. You got her to latch there, kind of. So just, you know, keep at it. Um, I was like, well, that wasn't super helpful. And then the day of discharge, I requested to see another one and a different one came to the room and she actually brought um, like a little cup and a syringe. And she was like, well, here, you can use these if you need to. But she didn't really sort of explain to me how to properly, properly like cup feed or syringe feed. So I just kind of like got sent home with this stuff and was like, you know, just keep trying. You'll get the hang of it. So the day of my discharge, I was waiting to be cleared by the midwives. The pediatrician had already come and cleared Aura. So I heard a knock on the door and I heard, hey, it's, it's Maggie. And Maggie is my midwife's name, the, the midwife that I had been seeing my whole pregnancy. But I, for whatever reason, in my postpartum haze, I was like, who's Maggie? And then she like came around the curtain and I was like, Maggie, it's you. Like, how? She's like, I didn't even realize you were here. Like, I, she just happened to be rounding that day. And she's like, how did everything go? And all of a sudden, I just like burst into tears. And she was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Was it bad? And I was like, no, no, like, it, it was amazing. I don't, but but I don't know why I'm crying right now. And I, in that moment, I was kind of like, oh, no, like, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like, so, you know, this is some, like, things are not the way that they used to be. Because, you know, I'm not an emotional person, typically. Uh, and I'm really not a crier. So for me to just sort of, like, burst into tears when someone just asks me a simple question about this amazing birth that I thought went great and I felt really empowered by, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this is something different. So she was like, you know, that's totally normal to cry like that. Like, you're going to have really high highs and really low lows. And if things don't get better after like two weeks or so, like, you know, definitely give us a call. And I'm like, okay, thanks. So they sent me on my way. Everything was fine. So we went home and our first night at home as a family was so hard. It was so, so difficult. I like could not get her to latch. She was just basically biting down and she had a really, really shallow latch and she essentially wasn't getting any food, which I, I didn't sort of realize at the time, but she screamed all night so much so that her little voice was hoarse in the morning. I just felt so awful. And, and I remember being up in the middle of the night, I'm crying, she's crying. I'm looking at these like 
sample canisters of formula in my cabinet. And I'm like, should I just make a formula bottle? But I'm like, no, like I, I, I want her to be breastfed. I really want this to succeed. Like, I don't want to give her formula yet. Like I'm just going to hand express. So I like hand express into this little tiny cup. And basically we syringe fed her, but my understanding with this syringe feeding, you can tell me if you, if I'm right, um, is you're supposed to like basically have your pinky in the baby's mouth as well. So that they sort of have to like work for it a little bit. Is that right? You know, well, so I am not a lactation consultant, but in my experience, at that point, the, the differences between like, is this a one time thing? Sure. Like, if you were constantly cup feeding her, and so then you were trying to get stimulation of her sucking, and especially like, say, for mm-hmm. preemies and that kind of thing, yes. But for a baby that is so frustrated and screaming in the middle of the night and just needs some food, yeah, you just need food. So I wouldn't worry yeah. about other things like that right at that moment. Okay. Well, that's what we ended up doing. So we gave her some of that and I was like, all right, I'm going to call the warm line in the morning. The the hospital has this thing called the warm line where, I don't know, from say 7am to 7pm, you can call and you get an IBCLC on the phone who can sort of talk to you about any sort of breastfeeding issues or if you're having any other, you know, concerns postpartum. So I called the warm line first thing in the morning and I was like, Oh my God, I have a pump in my basement. I've never even opened it. I don't, in the middle of the night when like she's crying, I'm crying. Like I, it didn't even occur to me. Like I need to get out the breast pump. So I was like, Oh, of course I have a pump. Why didn't I think of that? And so that made me feel guilty too. And she was like, yeah, she's like, I'll give you an appointment to meet with one of the outpatient lactation consultants for tomorrow. But in the meantime, you know, she gave me some instructions for, um, try to get her to latch. If I need to, I could pump a little bit first, just to, because I was also engorged because my milk at that point had, was coming in. And, you know, she gave me some really good information and she was like, you know, sort of like help is on the way. You can come in tomorrow to meet with the lactation consultant. So I was like, okay, great. So the next morning we went to go to meet with the lactation consultant who was it's just sort of an angel. She met with us for like two and a half hours. We did a weighted feed. She observed me trying to get her to latch. And she looked and saw that she, so in the hospital, they told us that she did not have a tongue or lip ties. This particular lactation consultant, she felt that she did have a minor tongue and lip ties, but she was like, you know, bring her back to the pedi- pediatrician. You can talk to them about it and see if you want to get it corrected and all that. But, you know, correcting it is no guarantee that she's going to be able to latch because I consistently would get that really shallow, really, really painful latch. So we, I went home with a plan to basically pump, you know, try to feed her if I could. And this lactation consultant gave me the best piece of advice that I would gotten during this whole sort of breastfeeding journey. She said, none of this is going to work if either one of you is crying. Like, she's not going to be able to latch. You're not going to be able to get her to latch if either one of you is, like, you know, crying, hungry, really upset, whatever. So we did that. We would do, every time I tried to feed her, we'd do skin. I'd get her down to her diaper. I'd take my shirt off. We'd do skin to skin for a while so I could get her to sort of, like, start to root around and kind of, like, wake up. And because it was the other thing. She was so sleepy because she was essentially so hungry and like starving. So every single time I tried to feed her, we do the skin to skin. I try to get her to latch. I struggle and struggle and I start crying and I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to pump. Like, you know, at that point I had some express milk like in the fridge. So I would have a bottle ready to go. And, you know, we brought her to the pediatrician, a couple of different pediatricians at this particular practice. And 
one thought she had tongue and lip ties, the other didn't. And, and again, they were kind of like, you know, we could refer you to get them corrected, but it's not a guarantee that you're going to, she's going to be able to latch after that. You know, So ultimately we decided not to try to get them corrected and I would just keep trying to breastfeed. Um, so, you know, I kept trying and, and I just felt so defeated and so much like, you know, I can't do this one sort of basic quote unquote natural thing for my baby. And, and it really had an impact on my mood. So finally I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to pump and it, I, I'm just going to become an exclusive pumper because this is, this is crazy. Like she's upset. I'm upset. Like nobody is having a good time of this. I'm, I'm just going to feed her from a bottle and just pump exclusively. So that's what I did. And so that was really challenging because, again, I had a lot of feelings of guilt, but uh, I ended up exclusively pumping for about six weeks. And, you know, around the time that I stopped, I had to get put on antibiotics because I thought I had some kind of infection. So I had to pump and dump and pumping and dumping like eight times a day is was like so just like, again, just feeling totally defeated, like dumping it down the drain. And, and I kind of got mixed reviews, whether or not I had to pump and dump, you know, the midwife that I talked to said the benefit of your breast milk outweighs the risk of her getting some of this antibiotic in it. But the pediatrician was like, I can't recommend that. Absolutely not. You know, so we just went with pumping and dumping. Oh, and um, that's so demoralizing too, right? Yeah. I'm so sorry. It sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, already you. exclusively pumping, I had to do that too. And it it's the worst of both worlds because you're not getting the benefit. Oh my God. You're not getting mm -hmm. the benefit of always available to the breast, just latch on the go whenever, Bubba, all easy, right? Milk's available. You're not mm -hmm. getting that benefit. And then you're not also, you're also not getting the benefit of I'll just mix up this bottle, this, you know, formula and it's ready and to go whenever you actually have to basically double your time because you're all the time yes. that you're pumping it, like you would, that would be the time that you normal breastfeed, right? You or mm -hmm. even longer because you're not as productive. The pump is not as uh, productive right. at extracting milk as your baby is in general. Yeah. So there's that, and then you have to sit down and feed your baby, and then you have yeah. all these things to clean. It sucks. <laughs> crazy town. It's crazy. And I, I, I actually had a friend from college who exclusively pumped for a year, and I was kind of like. I, I couldn't believe it. And like that sort of like long range thinking, I was like, I can't see myself doing this into next week, never mind into the next year. So like, I really kudos to any mom who's able to do that for any period of time, because it is really challenging. And like, you know, Adam would get up with me for middle of the night feeds and like I would pump and he would feed the baby. And, and I just felt like I was missing out on time with my baby. Like it was great that he was able to feed her and bond with her. And like, of course that's important and necessary, but I was missing out and also taking up all this other time. Like he would go back to bed and I'd be, have to clean all my pump parts, you know? So that was like really, really challenging. So, but you know, she, we transitioned her to formula at six weeks and it ended up being fine. She didn't, I was afraid she was going to reject the formula or, would, or, you know, it would cause like, you know, she'd have like reflux or, or like it wouldn't, we'd have to try to find the right formula. But luckily we lucked out with the first formula we have in the pick. She did fine with it and she's, she's, she's been fine. It's fine. <laughs> but it was just tough, you know, being like postpartum and having all these expectations of like 
how things are going to go and that you're going to be able to feed your baby. You know, it's breastfeeding. It's easy. Yeah, right. So that was tough. Yeah, it's natural, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I love that comment you made about that the lactation consultant talked to you and said, none of this is going to work if either one of you is crying. There's another, another, I'm going to add that to my bag of mantras for breastfeeding and one of them. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for that. Another lactation consultant once told me, it's like, look, when you start to walk, how many times do you fall? It's completely natural. But how many times do you fall and fail before you actually start to walk? Like that's natural, but it's not easy. Same thing with breastfeeding. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, change in expectations, right? Change in expectations. And that's if you don't have any issues going on. I mean, you guys had other things layered on top of that. Right. Yes. So I also had some physical healing issues. So in addition to the breastfeeding issues, I I was about a week postpartum, I think, and Um, I was taking a shower and when I was getting out of the shower, I like felt something on like the inside of my leg, like sort of up by my crotch. And I was like, Oh, what's that? Like, and it it was like a piece of hair was like sort of stuck to something. So I'm like, Oh, you know, so I go to pull it. And all of a sudden I got this like shooting pain. And I was like, Oh my God, I have like, my hair is like tangled up, like stuck on a stitch or something. Like, I didn't know what was going on. So I like glance down and I see like a, a tangle of hair or something like, like hanging down. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I, I, I'm going to have to like cut the hair out. Like it's, I don't know what it's stuck on. I, like, it, But I'm like, I'm horrified. Right. And, and I don't say anything to like Adam or anything. So I go and get the scissors and I like cut it and I look at it and I realize it's not my hair. It's like a stitch or something that was hanging down, like the material that they used to stitch me. Um, So I was like, oh my God, like, what have I done? I've just, my vagina's never going to heal. Like what, who puts their own stitch out? Like what, you know, but it was like an inch and a half hanging down. Like I I had to do something about it. It wasn't helping you heal for sure. Like it was just hanging (laughs) out there. It was doing nothing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I called the midwife's office in the morning and they, you know, they had me come right in. And she looked and she was like, yeah, you cut out one of your stitches. It looks like, um, and I also, she, she also noted that I had like a smaller laceration on the side that wasn't stitched that was sort of, you know, slowly healing, but she's like, you know, it looks like everything's going to heal just fine. You didn't mutilate yourself or anything, you know, it's going to be fine. I was like, okay, thank you. So that went okay. And luckily my six week postpartum checkup went fine. And I was like, okay, like, you know, she kind of gave me the go ahead for to resume exercise and resume sex if I was ready. So I was really happy to be exercising again because my mood was not great. I I would say I, I had probably had the baby blues. I'm not sure that I'd go so far as to say I had postpartum depression, but like I was just still like super emotional and just like really kind of sad. And I really wanted to get back to exercising because that is something that has always helped my mood. So, you know, I sort of gradually got back into that, uh, started with walking and then got back into power yoga pretty quickly soon after. And I, we had tried to get back into having sex, but it was super, super painful to the point where I couldn't do it. So 
I had scheduled a visit for three months after my six-month postpartum visit that would become my new sort of yearly exam time. And I was really glad that I had that visit scheduled because, you know, I went in and I told my midwife, I was about five months postpartum at this point, And I was like, look, something is wrong. Like I'm, I'm trying and, and I'm having a really hard time. Things are really painful when we try to have sex. And she was like, well, do you want to go see a pelvic floor physical therapist? And I was like, yes, please. Um, because I had, you know, heard that pelvic floor PT is part of the sort of standard of care in other countries for postpartum, postpartum moms. And I, I, I was just searching for something that would help. So I went in and it turns out I had essentially the way that it was explained to me was that my pelvic floor was sort of spasming and that's why it was so painful. Um, and I also found out that I had an ab separation, which I wasn't aware of. Um, so she gave me some exercises to start working on the diastasis or the ab separation. And she, we also did some she did some internal work to help with my pelvic floor and the spasms and going to see my pelvic floor PT, who was such a wonderful human being, was literally life changing. It made such a difference. And it was it was so um I guess sort of comforting to know that like have identified the problem and to have concrete ways of working on it and to fix it so that I, I wasn't having this issue anymore. Um, it made such a huge, huge difference. And it also, you know, I was able to then be more mindful of when I was exercising, sort of engaging my abdominals and making sure that I wasn't causing more damage and making the separation worse versus, you know, making it better. So if there's one thing that I could recommend to any postpartum mom is that if you're having any sort of issues, please, you know, with any sort of physical issues, you know, pain or like leaking urine or anything like that, ask for a referral to a pelvic floor PT because it makes such a difference. Mm, and I am so happy to hear one that you were better, right? That you found yes. you found <laughs> something to make you feel better and, and address your issues um, and that you were able to find out about the diastasis so you can address that yes. as well. But to also hear you recommending it to other people because that's something that I'm I I would love like for everybody to go do at least one checkup with a pelvic floor PT which at that point were you like I'll just try anything give it to me or was it like oh I'm hesitant about this because it's kind of embarrassing but I will you know, like what was your mindset at that point because I think a hang up is part of the problem that we don't go and and you know go do pelvic PT well, I, I think the fact that I had heard of it before and, and the fact that it, it, I learned that it was standard of care in some other countries, that really helped. And I was part of me also was at that point where I was just like, like, I can't go on like this, like something needs to change. You know, of course, this having someone assess your pelvic floor is not something that's comfortable, you know, and part of the assessment, she asked me all kinds of questions that are really really personal that you don't typically talk about with anyone, never mind someone you just met. And, you know, she did an external exam as well as an internal exam. So, you know, it, it was definitely, I had to sort of go outside of my comfort zone a little bit, but I was just at this point where I felt like something needed to change. I had to do something. So I might as well try this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And I thank you for sharing your experience. I know I, I, I speak to a lot of practitioners, then we recommend it, but I don't speak to that many 
on the show at least to that many people who have had it done and 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 have had think it's it was really a great thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it was a really great experience and and I pretty much recommend it to anyone who will listen. Like anybody that I know who's like having a baby or just had a baby like, look, if you're having any issues, consider, you know, asking for a referral to a pelvic floor PT. Yeah, yeah, and it's France that does it part of their um Okay. They, I think everybody gets about 10 or 12 visits after birth as part of their postpartum care. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, awesome. So then this was like maybe eight months out. You were feeling physically, you know, yes. different, but finding your new normal. Exactly. Yeah. And, and things have been quite smooth from that point on. You know, I haven't really hit any other roadblocks. And I, I think you know, the, the PT really made all the difference in the world with my confidence levels as well. Mm, that's awesome. So Ivy, what, um, as we wrap up, what are some mm-hmm. parting words for listeners or some things that you wanted to make sure we got to that we didn't, or some recommend other recommended resources that really helped you? Well, I think I think just sort of educating yourself as much as possible, whether that be through listening to podcasts or reading or watching like YouTube videos of births, things like that. To me, knowledge is power. And I think, you know, the more knowledge that you can give yourself ahead of time, the better prepared you're going to be. Mm-hmm. I, and I am the nerdiest person on information and knowledge, so <laughs> I am 100% behind you. Um, thank you so very much for coming on the show to tell your story. Oh, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I think that the fact that you're giving new parents this platform is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's it's only going to help all of the families who are preparing for their first or subsequent little ones. That was Ivy Tumlinson sharing her hard-earned postpartum insights. If you want to connect with us, we're on Instagram at Birthful Podcast, and we especially love it when you share with us what resonated with you the most from the episode. So if you're not driving, go ahead and tell us right now. Take a screenshot of this episode and post it to your stories, making sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. As always, you can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Also, if you feel that you're constantly learning something new from Birthful, then the best way to support us is by trying any of the wonderful products made by our sponsors while taking advantage of the great offers that they provide our listeners. And you can also join any of my perinatal classes. This is what allows us to continue doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plati. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and just anywhere and everywhere that you listen, and then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.